Well, as we finish out the book of Exodus, I thought it would be worth asking, what's the book of Exodus about? Exodus. <laughs> yeah, leaving Egypt. Um, and the author I took this from divided the book into two sections. The first, the redemption of Israel. Redemption means buying, buying back. God redeemed them out of the slavery of Egypt. Um, and then the second part being the consecration of Israel as a people of God. Consecration meaning separating for His own special purposes. And, and we're, of course, in that second section. When they, when they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. Of course, that was the end of Pharaoh's army. And they had the Song of Triumph, the Song of Moses, which is then referred to in Revelation. Then we have several weeks of, of marching to get to Mount Sinai, which is section number three here, the covenant at Sinai. And that was a very dramatic thing where they had to be prepared for three days and then God spoke the commandments from the top of the mountain. And at the end of that time, we, we had one chapter left last week that I didn't get to cover, which is in chapter 24. It's a very interesting thing. Never, never repeated... It's easy to read past it if, if you're not careful. Um, and you kind of, if you're not careful, you sort of think of it in terms of, of like the book of Leviticus and all. But you have to keep in mind that in chapter 24, there was no tabernacle, there was no priesthood of Aaron. All those things were to come later. But look what you have. Um, in, in verse 4, Moses got up and built an altar with 12 pillars. And then in verse 5, he sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings. Now that's not something that's going to be done later on. They're not, you're not going to just pick out young men of the people of Israel. Who are you going to pick? Yeah, they have to be descendants of Aaron. But at this point, just young men to offer the sacrifice. So, the, so we have burnt offerings and we have peace offerings. <clears throat> now we'll have those same two kinds of offerings in Leviticus as well as uh, one or two more. Then, what does Moses do with the blood from those offerings? Sprinkles on the people. Sprinkles on the people, yes. Yeah, so he is... Um, this, this, and he, I think he even calls it the blood of the covenant. Yes, in verse 8. Behold, the blood of the covenant. The covenant was this... Well, the Ten Commandments were the, the beginning of that covenant. They, they're written on tables of stone, you know, two copies, which is typical with the covenant. And now the people are being sprinkled with blood because they're, they're making a covenant with God. So this whole chapter has to do with this covenant that God is making with His people. Then, in verse 9, Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. What there's a, I can think of only three times in the Old Testament when anyone saw God in the sense that these people saw Him. Uh, this, there's this time there, there's in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Ezekiel. They saw the God of Israel. Under His feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. 
Now, exactly what it means when it says they saw God, I don't know, because of course you know in in a little bit later, uh, God says nobody can see me and live. Uh, so they saw him in, in a somewhat limited sense, and yet clearly God intended for them to to see something that would be that would represent Him, and that would be a part of this covenant. This God is making this covenant with the people, and as part of the covenant. The 70 leaders of Israel go up and they see God. And you, have this, you really have this throne scene. Because what's under His feet? Well, it, it, it looked like the sky, but what, what was it? Sapphire. Sapphire, which is of course a, a, a gem. Uh, what color is sapphire? It can be clear. Yeah, typically it's blue. Uh, I think like a lot of these gems, the color will vary. But um, So when they say it's clear as the sky itself, I think the, he, he was on this pavement of this bluish stone and they were underneath and probably they were looking actually through the stone to see Him above it. You, in the book of Revelation, you have a, a somewhat similar scene in chapter uh, 4 where where in front of God, God's on his throne in heaven and in front of him is a lake that is um how does it put it as clear as crystal so it's is very similar to this picture here and and this and when it talks about sapphire as clear as the sky itself this takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1 when the sky itself was this firmament that divided heaven and earth and I, I think the all, all, they're all intended to be related. Um, so this is the this was the this chapter was where God made the covenant with the people. The people are now His people. Yeah, Tracy. What chapter are you in? I'm in uh, chapter 24, Exodus 24. Yeah. Now we we go into a period of. A number of days where Moses is up on the mountain. How many days? Forty days. He's up on the mountain. And he gets several things while he's up there. Name me some things he gets. Ten commandments. Yeah, Ten Commandments written on Yeah, on two tablets of stone. Um, what else did he get when he was up there? The tabernacle pattern. The tabernacle pattern, yes. And we'll have to talk about that. Um in, in verse 17, it says, To the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. Moses was on the mountain four days and four nights. So they see him go up into this cloud. It's like fire. Um, and I'm sure all of them are saying, Better you than me. <laughs> and now, we leave the people down below while, while we cover what God is. God tells Moses, and starting in chapter twenty-five, we have the um, the description of the tabernacle. They, up until this point, they have not had a tabernacle, and um, I'll give you a picture of some of what what we think the tabernacle looked like. This will give us some to go by as we talk about it. Um, 
this is when it's all done, which is going to take a while. Um, but you have the pillar of cloud over the top of it, and the, the, the tabernacle itself is a tent structure with uh, wooden boards to hold, you know, for the walls. And then, and then outside is this courtyard with a, a just a linen curtain all the way around it. Uh, this down below here is the is the floor plan. It faced east, and this is the um, the gate. The, this part here is the eastern side of it. Um, the tent itself had two rooms. Um, this room was called what? Most holy. holy place. And this one was the holy place. And inside the most holy place was one piece of furniture, which was what? The Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, notice the word covenant. We just God has made the Moses sprinkled to be with the blood of the covenant. Now in the in the tabernacle, in the most holy room, is going to be this Ark of the Covenant. And inside that box, it's it's a, a it's a wooden box covered with gold. Inside the box will be put what? Two tablets. The two tablets of the ten, the, the ten Commandments, and they they represent the covenant. <laughs> yeah, later on there'll be more things, but in, at this point there'll just be those two those two items. Um, yeah, later on there'll be Aaron's rod, and then there's also a pot a pot of manna. Uh, the uh, on top of the ark was a lid, and what was the lid called? It was called the mercy seat. Um, and on top of that lid were statues of two cherubim. Two cherubim, yes. With, they were uh, angelic beings that have wings. Um, and then God's presence was over the mercy seat. Um, now here we see the cloud over the whole tabernacle, but later on it was just inside the most holy place where that cloud was. Um, now, when God describes this in chapter 25, beginning, the first thing he mentions is that uh, it's to, going to be built with materials provided by who? People. All the people. It's going to be a voluntary contribution. You can give whatever you want, however much you want, and he lists all the different materials that they needed. Um, then he gives them this pattern. And what what this pattern is intended to show is a means of approaching God in worship. This is what this is all about. The tabernacle and later the temple, which replaced the tabernacle, is going to be the center of worship for the people of Israel. Uh, when, once the tabernacle was done, where within the camp was it placed? No, no, I mean in the wilderness. Sorry, in the wilderness. Right, right smack in the center of the camp. Three tribes on the east, three tribes on the north, three tribes on the west, three tribes on the south. It's in the center. And this, this formed the center of, of Jewish life. And this was the center of their worship. You want, to, you want to offer a sacrifice? You can't do it just any place. You have to come to the tabernacle to, to offer the sacrifice. And there were there elaborate rules for that which we've been studying on Wednesday night in the book of Leviticus. Um, so he's describing this, and the first thing he describes in verse 25 is what? The frame, frame of what? I want the name of the piece of furniture. 
Ark of the Covenant, right. Yeah, this is... What I find interesting is that when he describes what they're going to make, he doesn't start with the tent itself. He He starts with the holiest piece of furniture inside the tent, which is the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, and so the direct the, the order that he's describing it, it's not going to be exactly the same order that they make it, but the order he describes things in starts with the holiest and then kind of works outward. The holiest being the, the, the ark which is in the presence of God. And um, the, that was where the high priest on that one day a year, what was the, na- what was the name of the day of the year when he would go into that room? The Day of Atonement. That one day of the year, he'd go in and he'd sprinkle blood on the ark. Yeah, Tracy. I was just wondering, why did they make the um, uh, tabernacle facing east? Because the significance. The sun rises in the east. I don't know any other reason. <laughs> yeah. My guess is it has to do with the sun rising, but I, I don't know anywhere where it states that. Um, so they start with the this piece of furniture, then, then they move to this next room, and what pieces of furniture in the next room do, are described? I want them in order, if you could, please. The table, the table of showbread is first, and then Tracy? Yeah, the lampstand. Uh, how many branches in the lampstand? Yeah, seven branches on the lampstand. So you have the, the table of showbread on the north, which Matthew has calculated out at one and a half cubits tall. It was only um, 27 inches high, so it was a pretty short table. <laughs> um, and then we have on the south side, we have the lampstand, the seven branch lampstand. Um, that's all in this chapter the next chapter goes into how to make the tabernacle itself do you notice anything that got left out here no no I'm still on the inside the altar of incense got left out this is this is just an odd thing and you, you kind of watch as we go through it you'll see that this this order isn't quite what you would expect. Um, so then in chapter 26, he starts describing how to make the tent itself. And the tent had multiple uh, layers of, of different kinds of material. Linen and goat's hair, and then um, at, the, at the very outside was um, the new American standard says porpoise skins. The, uh, I think the new King James says ram skins. Badger skins. Badger skins. Um, I think I even read one place it might have been is there a kind of a sea creature called a dugong? Yeah, I think it's, you find them in Tibet. Well, it's a mountain creature. No, no, I'm ta- a sea creature. Oh, see, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, it, so basically no one knows for sure what that Hebrew word means. So whatever that skin was, it was probably waterproof. And then it just talks about the the boards um, covered with gold and the sockets of silver that they were put in. And then it talks about the veil. Where was the veil? Separated. Yeah. The veil marked this place off as inaccessible. The priests could go in here, but they couldn't go through the veil. And then there was also the curtain at the, at the entrance 
that they, that they made. And, and again, all descriptions for that. Then in chapter 27, what, what's the next piece of furniture described? Yeah. Which altar? Yeah, altar burnt offering, which is out here, made out of what? Well, okay, you're saying acacia wood, but yeah, the, I think most everything was made out of acacia wood, but it was covered with with bronze. Yeah, everything in here was made out of the same acacia wood, but it was covered with gold. I guess the gold, the lampstand didn't have any wood in it. Out here, it's covered with bronze. There's, um, I don't believe there was any gold outside the, the tabernacle. There was the bronze altar, and that's the altar of burnt offering. Then you'll notice we're still skipping another piece of furniture. And in verse 9 of chapter 27, it starts talking about the, the court. Uh, and the court are, is this uh, cloth fence that goes all the way around, uh, made out of uh, white uh, linen. And the socket. Um, each of these posts was in a, a socket of bronze on, on the bottom of it. Um, then, we, we, in chapter 28, we go to the garments of the priests. Again, you notice we've left out a couple things. What two things have been left out? Yeah, the, the laver, the, the wash basin, and... Yeah. We still left out the altar of incense, right? So now we switch to, in chapter twenty-eight, the priest's garments. And I've got a picture of what people think they look like. Um, this is the ordinary priest, uh, and his garments were just white. And the high priest, two different ideas of what the high priest's garments look like. He started with the white, but then he had the blue over it, and um, it gets fancier and fancier with the 12 gems. And then this had a pocket inside it, was the urine and the thumb. Um, and on his shoulder is right, one gem on each side. Uh, his turban has a gold plate that says, Holy to the Lord. Um, yeah, Tracy. Oh yes. Yeah, bells, and I think there were little palm granites are uh, on the border there. Yeah, gold made out of gold. Yeah. That makes me think of way forward when Paul did the Yeah, he. I'm sure in the Sanhedrin council he wasn't wearing his his robes. Yeah, he was just dressed ordinarily. Yeah. Um, and is this um, in, the, um, in the New Testament when the priests went into the temple? Did they wear all this? Oh yes. Stuff? Oh yes, they certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when the, when the New Testament opens with with the book of of Luke. Um, we have a priest, not the high priest, but a priest who goes in to burn incense. And what was his name? Zacharias. Zacharias. He would have been dressed like this, with the white, in white like that. I thought that the only the high priest could go in. Uh, 
that's to the most holy place. He was burning incense. The incense altar was in just the regular holy place. And they burned incense twice a day in, in, that, in, in that altar. Then in chapter 29, um, it describes the ceremony to consecrate these priests. Uh, this is a ceremony that we'll, that we'll read about in Leviticus, but it's being described here, and, and what they're, what they, you know, how they, they will, they'll get sprinkled with holy oil and all of that, and uh, the, the the sacrifices that are offered, and, and it, it takes a whole week for this ceremony. That they, they have to stay at the, inside the court of the tabernacle for the whole week, and offering sacrifices every day. It, it's it's pretty elaborate. Um, And then at the end of the chapter, he even talks about what the regular offering is going to be. Now in chapter 30, we finally come back to what had been missing this whole time. And what is that? Altar of incense. Yeah. And then outside the bone that they washed. A little labor. Yes, he's going to cover both of those. And it's like... Um, we, we can't talk about the altar of incense until we have priests that are prepared for it. And I, I don't know why, because you also need priests for the table of showbread, you also need priests for the golden lampstand, but um, somehow the altar of incense is in a different category. What? To, excuse me, don't they have to do the high priest? He has to do something before he goes in the most holy. Either that's why they built the no. Well, yeah. I mean, they all all the priests had to wash. They they, they would wash and then they would put on their holy garments. Um, yeah, Matthew. Well, they did. They did and the high priest on that one day of the day of atonement, he did have to offer some incense just before he went in. Yes, but I think that was that was in a censer that he had with him, and he carried the censer actually into the most holy place. You may, I, I may be mistaken. Maybe he burned it on, on this altar and the incense went in. We'll, we'll have to watch when we get to that point in the book of Leviticus. Um, so we've got the altar being built. Then in verse 17 and 18, the laver, which is the wash basin that they, they washed it. Uh, the, the priests had to wash their hands and their feet before they could go into the tabernacle. All of these things are trying to teach the holiness uh, of God and the necessity for cleanliness, which the, cleanliness, the physical cleanliness represents spiritual purity. And the priest had to, had to be physically clean to represent the spiritual cleanness we have to have in order to come before God. All, all these things are symbolic of, of our service today to God. In the New Testament, we are all priests and who is the high priest? Jesus is the high priest. Yeah. And so if you picture us, what would the white robe for us represent today? Holiness. What? Holiness. Yeah, it would represent purity. The fact that, that we are, are righteous people. And of course, we need to behave that way. Um, then in verse 22, uh, uh, this is still chapter 30, <clears throat> We read about the anointing oil, and, they, and the oil was going to be sprinkled on all these different pieces of furniture. 
to to separate to to separate them for this holy purpose. They will only be used in service to God because they've been anointed with this special oil and, and they have a special formula for the oil. And then uh, one minute. And then they at the end of the chapter they have a special formula for the incense that's to be burned on that altar of incense. And both of those formulas were holy. Nobody was to use the formula to make any oil or incense to be used for a common purpose. Yeah, Tracy. I was just wondering when they anointed, was that just one time thing or each time yeah. they took the... It was just a one time. No, it was just a one time thing. Yeah, it, it, it's done at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, then... And Moses is, I don't know how many days Moses has been on the mountain by now. We're going through this 40 days a lot faster than Moses did. <laughs> what did he eat while he was up there, by the way? <laughs> he didn't eat anything. It specifically says he didn't eat or drink anything for the 40 days. It was a fast. Um, I, I would assume being in the presence of God gives somebody a, you know, some, some of the energy they need. Although... Jesus went 40 days without eating just before He started His service as well. You, you may recall that. In chapter 31, God named two of, the, two of the people who were to be in charge of building the, the, all the furniture and the tabernacle. They had uh, this special skill. God had given them this special skill to be able to do this. They were craftsmen that um, had the skill to, to do this, this work. It's just one of them is from the tribe of Dan. Uh, yeah, Dan didn't work out so hot later on, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, and then he again uh, repeats one of the Ten Commandments. The only one he repeats here is what? The Sabbath. The Sabbath was kind of, of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath was this unique uh, covenant commandment with the, with the, the people of Israel. No other people on earth had this commandment. And and the people and and outsiders would, would notice this this observance probably before they noticed just about any other one. If you look through the Ten Commandments, it's not going to be obvious whether someone's keeping most of the others, except maybe the second one not having any graven image. But it'd be very obvious when every Saturday they don't work. <laughs> the rest of the, the people are going to look at this and say, What? So God repeats that one sign, and then that's the end. That that finishes His instructions for the forty days. Now, meanwhile, um, things have been going on <laughs> down below, uh, and apparently the people waited almost long enough. But this is so typical. I don't know how, how many times we do this in our own lives. They waited almost the whole forty days. But they couldn't make it to the end. We've given up on Moses. They saw him go up into this consuming fire. You know, he's probably been dead for weeks by now. So they need something. What do they need? <laughs> yeah, what they said they needed. Verse 1 Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. <coughs> oh. 
this is sort of going to replace Moses. I mean, this seems strange, but it's, it's sort of going to replace Moses. Um, they are not, as far as I can tell, they're not trying to find some new god to worship. Um, Aaron is very specific in verse 5. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. You notice Lord is all uppercase. That's the word Jehovah. So if they're not worshiping a different God, what's this golden calf all about? Something that they can see. Exactly. This is the symbol of their God. Now, and apparently Moses has sort of been the symbol up to that point. You know, we follow Moses. But in fact, the real symbol of the, of the God that they had been worshiping was that fire up there on the top of the mountain. That's not the symbol they want. <laughs> They want something a little bit more um, accessible, shall we say. And so, which of the Ten Commandments were they breaking by building this golden calf? It's the first or the second one? First one? The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Were they breaking that one? No. The golden calf. No. All right, let's listen to the no here. What's your reason? The golden calf was was to represent Jehovah. Exactly. You can have idols without breaking the first commandment. If your idol is supposed to represent God. Now, we don't usually have it today, but I, I, I will suggest that there are some religious institutions in this city you can go into where you'll find statues. And these statues are not intended to represent anything other than worship of the one true God. So what is what which commandment were they violating? The second commandment, which is what? No graven image. No graven image. I mean, have you ever thought, why did God have two commandments? No other gods and no graven image? It's the same commandment. It's not the same commandment. <laughs> because you can be worshiping the one true God, but in the wrong way. And that's what this golden calf is about. Now, think about the order that this book of Exodus has been written in. We've had chapter after chapter now about the proper way to approach God. If you want to approach God, here is a tabernacle. Here is an altar where you burn the offering. Here is the labor where you wash. And, and, and on into the... Here is the curtain that the priest goes through it, and, and so on. This is the proper way to worship God. These are the symbols that God has chosen to, through which we approach Him. But the people, while God is telling Moses the true way, the people are coming up with their own way. <laughs> now where do they get this way? Where in the world do they ever think of a calf to worship God with? <laughs> That's exactly right. They were, learned it from the idolatrous people that they had been living around. God, God threatened to destroy the people. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, he was not happy about it. Um, and the method of their worship was also coming from these pagan people. Um, in, at the end of verse six, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to do what? To play. Yeah, to play. And and this would be a just a a um, a loose, somewhat riotous type behavior um, that led to. A number of other sins, no doubt. Um, 
probably a more fun worship than what God was going to have them do. <laughs> um, and when people invent their own kinds of worship, they typically go with what pleases their own senses. Now, notice what God says in verse 7. This is chapter 32. Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You notice anything odd about that? Yes, your people. (laughs) Your people. God is kind of setting Moses up here. Your people have done this. And says... In verse 9, I have seen this people, behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And I'll make of you a great nation. I don't think Moses at first really knew the significance of, I mean, how bad the situation was. Well, it's one thing to hear about it, one thing to see it, certainly. But God is placing a temptation in front of Moses here. I mean, how tempting would it be to be told, I'll make of you a great nation? But does Moses go for it? He does not. Um, that's, that's not in this chapter. You're jumping too far ahead, sorry. <laughs> um, Moses offers a great prayer. He really saves the people's lives with this great prayer. And the first thing he says in verse 11, O oh Lord, why does your anger burn against what? Your people. <laughs> and that's critical. If these people are not God's people, then they are toast. Their only hope is if they are God's people. And we're in the same boat today. Um, so first of all, they're your people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power with a mighty hand. Notice his second argument in verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? What he's saying is the Egyptians are going to speak bad about you. you they're going to say you did something really awful. You just, you just wanted to take them out so you could wipe them out. And so he is appealing to God's sense of his own um, honor. He did those plagues to to show forth his honor, his glory before the people of Egypt. And Moses says, it's going to be wiped out if you you destroy this people. And then finally, in verse 13, you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants whom you swore by yourself and said to them. And he reminds them of the promise. So all three points of Moses' prayer are based upon God. None of these these points are based upon, well, God, you know, they're really nice people, you know, you 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 don't understand or something. none None of that. Everything is about God. They're your people. You brought them out of Egypt with your great power. It's your honor that's at stake. Please pardon them or or else your name will be dishonored by the Egyptians. And it's your promises that you made to the ancestors of these people. And God hears that prayer. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus says that we are to pray in Jesus' name. 
We do not come before Jesus because of our goodness. We do not come before Jesus because of any before God because of anything we have done. We come before God on the basis of Jesus, and that's and that's the prayer that He will hear. Um, it, Moses was was really in, he was acting as Jesus in this case, pleading God's honor before him. Yes. What, what do you call this a prayer um, itself? Just when we read when I read it, it, it means like that. He's having a conversation with God as he's up on the Well. Yes, I mean that's what we do when we pray. Except that God doesn't talk back to us. <laughs> um, but you're going back and forth with God. Um, yeah. So just, uh... Well, I mean, it, maybe it's, it's probably not a perfect parallel, but I mean, we do sometimes go back and forth with God too. I mean, when you have a re- a really difficult problem you're wrestling with, you go to God and then. You wait and you see what happens, and you go to God again. And you wait and you see what happens, and um, in a sense, we're having a conversation with God too. It's just that we don't hear His words directly, like what Moses heard. Yeah, but the the things God that Moses is basing it upon, those are the foundational points of prayer. We cannot plead anything else when we go before God. It's all God. It's God's glory. It's God's promises. We're God's people. Yeah. And we can see part of the purpose here. We can possibly infer this. Something like a year before this, uh, that God had told Moses he was going to go down to Egypt and uh, leave the people out. And basically, Moses says, "That's somebody else." <laughs> and now here he is. He's pleading for these people. Yeah. Yeah, he's come a long way. And Moses loves the people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's pleading for God's honor. And I don't think Moses is putting this on. I think Moses really, really cares about God's honor. He doesn't want the Egyptians to be saying bad things about his God because he thinks God is everything. But he also loves the people of God too. And, and, and even after he sees what terrible things they've done, um, he still pleads for for the for God's mercy upon them, He He does love them as as Can you God's people. Those three things the... Yes, verse eleven. Um, they are God's people. Verse twelve, it's God's honor that's at stake. Verse thirteen, it's God's promises to keep. Yeah. So then, the aftermath of all this, Moses comes down, and who's with him when he when he comes down the mountain? Joshua, Joshua yes, his his loyal servant. And um, boy, what does Moses do when he sees that golden calf and he sees these people dancing around? Yeah, he th- he shatters those tablets. <laughs> oh man, and uh, and. Um, what does he do with the with the golden calf? He burns it and the yeah, he burns it because all all these idols would have had a wooden base inside. They're not solid gold, so he burns it up, and then what's left is just melted gold. And he grinds the gold up, 
<laughs> he throws it in the wa- drinking water. <laughs> they have to drink their God. Um, yeah, boy, he's mad. And then he calls the Levites. Well, he says basically, who is on the Lord's side? And, and what does he tell these Levites to do? Yeah, because apparently they're. You know, I'm sure some of the people when they saw Moses, they saw, uh oh, and they all ran for their tents. But some of the people just ignore him and just continue with their riotous behavior, just going all through the camp. And, and so these Levites went and whoever they found like that, they just killed them. And how many ended up dead? 3,000. Yeah. What, where, else, where else in the Bible do we find the number 3,000? The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 3,000 were added to that day. Yeah. That's, um, I don't think it's by accident you have those two. Yeah. When, when this covenant was started, 3,000 died. When the Lord's New Testament covenant was started, 3,000 were added. <laughs> um. And then at the end of chapter 32... Moses goes back to God and he prays a prayer that only one other person other than Jesus ever come close to praying. And what does he pray? This is Tracy's turn now. Do you remember? Oh yeah, when he said that if you don't forgive them of their sins, then I will block them out of... Yeah, he says block me out. Yeah. He's willing to be lost because the book he's talking about, of course, is the book of life. He's willing to be lost to save them. Who's the other person other than Jesus that prayed a prayer similar to that? Yeah, Paul. In in Romans, I think it's chapter 10, he says, for I could wish to be cut off from Christ for the sake of Israel, my countrymen. Um, That is a lot of love. That is an awful lot of love. Jesus is the only one that God ever took him up on that offer. Jesus was cut off from God for us. You remember on the cross, He said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And God didn't take Moses up on the offer because, of course, Moses was not a perfect sacrifice. He couldn't. God, Moses couldn't replace anybody except him. And he, couldn't even replace himself. But he did he did pardon the people, although he says, In the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And then I'll have to kind of summarize here, we're running out of time, but um, God says that he's not going to go with the people. He's He's just going to send his angel with them. And Moses is very distraught about this. But one of the things Moses does is he he takes a tent. It's not the tabernacle. They haven't built the tabernacle. He takes a tent and he puts it outside the camp and it's called the tent of meat. That's where if anyone wants to worship God, they can go outside the camp to worship God. Um, and I think that's to symbolize the fact that God can't be in their midst because of their sins. Um, and then he goes back to the mountain and he, and he prays and... and beseeches God to forgive them. He makes a great request of God. 
Show me what? Show me your glory. And, and God gives him this great vision. He says, I, I, will, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And the glory of God obviously is the goodness of God. And when he, when he passes in front of him, let me see if I, where is the verse where he passes in front of him? Um, yeah, verse, chapter 34, verse 6. He says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren of the third and fourth generations. What does that mean? <clears throat> well, that, you mean the, the generations? What, it means when someone sins that he's going to punish their children and their grandchildren and their great grandchildren. That's what it means. Is that, could that be the, what happened in World War II with the Jews? Is that why they're so punished so bad because of the That could be part of it, yeah. I don't have time to go into it. I'm trying to rush here, Tracy, so I'm going to have to hold off the questions now because I'm two minutes over time. <laughs> um, this is a very important statement about God, that God is both just and He is forgiving. And for hundreds of years after God made this statement, that was an impossible statement to understand. How can God be just and also forgive? It's not just to forgive. And it's not until we come to Jesus that we find how the two can be combined. And God can truly in Jesus exercises wrath and through Jesus exercises loving kindness. Um, I won't go through all the chapters left and most of it is a repeat of what we've already had. We it's just tells about how they built the tabernacle according to the pattern that we've already discussed. But finally at the very end, the chapter forty, they they put up the tabernacle. This was about it probably took them about six months to build this tabernacle. And they put the tabernacle up, it says, on the first day of the first month. And then God's glory, in verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it was so, His glory was so full there that Moses couldn't even go inside because, because of the glory. And that was just a one-time thing just to show that God was accepting this as His dwelling place. After that, His glory was over the top of it, as you recall. And that sets us up for the book of Leviticus next week. We're going to spend three weeks going through that. Um, and that will discuss, the primarily, the book of Leviticus discusses the, the worship services done at the tabernacle, the various sacrifices and, and other kinds of offerings. And... Those of you who have been in the Wednesday night class know that we're headed for a little bit of a dry spell here. <laughs> this sort of separates the men from the boys in terms of whether you can keep up with your reading because it gets a little bit dry here when you repeat these sacrifices over and over again. But God put them in there, so we'll, we'll read them and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> I appreciate everybody's help.